All right, letting everyone get a, a few minutes to log in uh, for today's program. Uh, it will be led by our very own Dr. Laura Lee Hall. And just want to give her a shout out. We were talking of the holidays and she's always festive and uh, bright. So it's good that she's leading it. And it'll feature uh, Dr. Amongst other people, Dr. Johnny John, who's been on our advisory board since the beginning. Um, and so, but I guess without further ado, I'll just turn it over to you, Dr. Well, let's see. I'll do the two announcements to help, uh, help out. One, if you have questions, uh, make sure you put them in the Q&A box. Um, you'll see that below. And then two, if you just want to chat and keep the conversation going to have your own ideas and whatnot, please place them there. If, and then one final point, we're, we're towards the end of this year, but looking forward to next year on April 29th and 30th will be our um, annual national summit on health disparities. So we'll be mentioning that throughout uh, for the next five months or so. But without further ado, let's talk their progress and their programming, Dr. Hall. Thank you so much, Brandon. He is quite a jolly Christmas fella. Um, we got to see his Christmas tree before we joined you all. Uh, welcome, everyone. Again, please put your questions in the Q&A. If we don't get to them all, we will get back to you. And you will. this will be recorded, and you'll be able to access it on the NMQF YouTube channel. And uh, we'll be glad to share slides with you. So I'm going to get started just as an introduction here. And I'm presuming everyone can see my slides. That's what my computer says. Um, yes. So the name of our program today, Community Pharmacist Ambassadors, Building the Bridge to Vaccine Equity. Uh, I know that we are, this is an experiment today because we are having this webinar virtually, obviously, but we also have a room full of pharmacists in Indiana at Purdue Pharmacy School who are watching and joining us as well. Um, so folks in Indianapolis, forgive some slight overlaps. I just wanted to uh, remind everyone who isn't familiar that SHC is part of the National Minority Quality Forum, really one of the most important health equity for profit or not-for-profit organizations founded by and led by Dr. Gary Puckran. And uh, the, we are all about getting into community and bringing the resources developed by NMQF and SHC and putting it in the hands of you folk. So um, I founded SHC seven years ago. I'm now the president emeritus. We have Anna Norton, who is our president, and I'm circling her head right here. She's actually in the room in Indianapolis. I'm circling the head of Chinny, who directs our QI and equity programs. And I just really want to shout out how um, what an amazing job she has been doing leading our community pharmacist ambassador program, our Faith Health Alliance, and really all our vaccine programs. So woohoo to Chinny. And Leslie is also an amazing member of the team and is leading other programs, our hair initiative, our colorectal cancer, our diabetes. I showed this slide earlier and you see we're here in Indiana or Indianapolis for those of you in the room. 
I want to thank the Center for Health Equity and Innovation and others who are doing a live program there, our supporters from CDC and Santa Fe. But you know what? I really want to thank everybody on this call, all you pharmacists out there, for being here today and for everything you do. I say it again. I said it this morning. We need you. Why do we need you? Well, you can see that over the last week, this is a, a couple weeks old now, that the rates of flu are increasing. The darker the red color, the more, the higher the rate. So it's it's really moving across the country. Here's a graphic showing the rate as compared to other years. So um, really increasing quite a bit now. If only vaccine coverage was increasing as much, we are really at less a rate than we were last year, and last year was no great year. Disparities, racial and ethnic disparities remain uh, a big problem, and that's what this graph is showing you over time. And like I said, I'm, I'm not really going to go through this in super detail. I will share all of these slides with you. Here's really why we need you pharmacists. So look at the um, rate, or this is um, a measure of claims on flu vaccines over time. So you see that it's gone down. This dark purple on top shows you that it's really going down in the medical practice site. You the lighter purple, that's the pharmacy retail setting. Even gone down there a little bit. This is true even in our oldest population. So you see everybody's going down this year. Medical practice vaccination site, according to claims data, going down. And pharmacist, we need you. That's why I started saying we need you. These are data shared with uh, with me from uh, Sanofi, our partner. And I just will say that data shared from the CDC yesterday really uh, mirrors this. Okay, so here's the fun part. I, I already extolled Chinny's um, fame and her great work in this area. Here's our panelist. Um, I had to cut their bios down like by 100% because they're all so accomplished. You see Donnie John here, the executive director of Novascript Central, a not-for-profit charitable pharmacy in Northern Virginia. You could see he is on many boards, he is a practicing pharmacist. He's an amazing advocate. He is really one of the most spectacular people to, to work with who is really motivated to help out underserved populations and people of color. And he is the one that helped start our community pharmacist ambassador program. He's our partner in crime. And he'll talk about that today. Julie Caldwell 
from Walgreens. She too has a, a massive bio and has been doing amazing work as a pharmacist. And she is going to talk about the work she's been doing with our, our community sites around the country. She's really been the, the, uh, the, the leader promoting this. And we're very lucky to hear from her about doing that community work as a pharmacist. Crystal Hollins is really the health minister leader at New Hope Missionary Baptist Church. And, and she's really gonna talk about what it's like to put a program like this in place and you know what it means to the, the church community and community leaders. And she is a dynamic expert individual. And again, we're very fortunate to have her today. You already heard about putting your questions in the Q&A box. So here is the link to the Community Pharmacist Ambassadors Program. And guess what? By participating in today's um, webinar, you are a Community Pharmacist Ambassador. You can go to this link. You can contact Chinny, and here's her email address. I'll put this in the chat for you all as well. And we will work with you to get you connected in your communities so you could really help get those vac flu vaccine rates up and promote health equity. We need you. So I'm gonna stop sharing and turn it over to Donnie. Thank you all. Thank you, Laura Lee, for the kind introduction and all that information about the current rates of immunization across the country. So it's an honor to be with all of you guys today. And I'm going to share my screen, so bear with me for a second. So hopefully everybody can see my screen. So I want to give a little background about why we started the Community Pharmacist Ambassador Program here in Nova Script Central. One of the things, as pharmacists, we're viewed as just, quote-unquote, drug experts. But there's so much more that we have knowledge of. And what I tell everybody is pharmacists are storytellers. In order for us to understand the drug treatments to treat illness, we have to understand the illness first. But we're not given often an opportunity to speak with the community to really showcase our knowledge about illnesses. And that's really why we created the Community Pharmacist Ambassador Program. We wanted to create the largest speaker bureau of pharmacists that could be connected with community groups, whether it be faith-based groups, the local YMCA, anyone that needed a health expert that, to come and speak to them about a health topic, well, they can reach out to a Community Pharmacist Ambassador to come and bridge that gap. And this allows community allows pharmacists to showcase their knowledge and their talents in a different way. Typically, you know, it's hard to go door to door asking, can I have an opportunity to speak if people don't have trust in who you are and the message you're going to bring. And that's the one thing with partnering with the National Minority Quality Forum and the Center for Sustainable Healthcare with their hair wellness warriors program and their faith health alliance. They have a network of community groups that want this opportunity for health experts like pharmacists to come and speak to them. And that's really why we created the Community Pharmacist Ambassador, to really bridge the need in the community with health health experts like you. You know, uh, Julissa Soto presented this morning at the Purdue Vaccine Equity Summit about building trust within the community. And that's one thing that we really focused on when we developed our Community Pharmacist Ambassador Program. The one thing I tell everybody that it's important for us to remember, regardless of our healthcare training, our number one job, regardless of whether you're PharmD, MD, RD, DPT, is that we are a patient advocate for our family and our loved ones. That is our number one role. 
So when we go out with that mindset, we're more focused on making sure that the education that we're going to deliver is more meaningful, that it's easy to understand. We're focusing on the health literacy needs of our family members and our community members more, more on, a, on a, keen, a keen strategy approach. With the modules that we created within the Community Forest Ambassador Program, we did the research of highlighting what are the historical issues that are associated with vaccinations around flu. We have different modules both focusing on flu, COVID, lupus, and we'll keep adding to these modules over the course of the next few years, all to really provide information that, that pharmacists, as community pharmacists ambassadors, can take and present within the community. There are specific slide sets that you have access to now that you're community pharmacists ambassadors that you can then go and present within any community that's around you. Ideally, NMQF and SC, uh, the Center for Sustainable Healthcare will have health health well um, hair wellness warrior programs faith health alliance partners that all are looking for speakers so we want to match people up so we are trying to as i said again creating this the largest speaker bureau of pharmacists to be community advocates really educate the community about healthcare. one of the things that we've done uh, as we're developing our program is we really focus on understand the community and one of the ways that we're successful in doing that is to have a diverse team and I can't stress the importance of having a diverse staff is extremely important in order to really focus on building trust and building equity. I am blessed to have a small team of very culturally diverse individuals that speak multiple languages, have different lived experiences that we leverage in order to develop content. And we really focus on if this information cannot change our own family and our friends, then we can't give it out to anybody else. So with that in mind, we really take the time to really look at are we vetting the content? Are we translating, making sure that things don't get lost in translation as we're spreading this information out to the general public? And an example I wanna share with you is the early part of COVID-19. Hopefully everybody can still see my screen, correct? Yes, yes. Perfect. Perfect. During co the initial part of COVID with coronavirus, there was a lot of information and not enough information really translate to explain the difference between cold, flu, or COVID-19 symptoms. The fear that we had in our community seeing all the rise of hate crimes because of lack of misunderstanding of what is this illness we were dealing with. So our team developed an infographic to really help people identify what are the difference between the symptoms. Just because you had a cough doesn't mean you had COVID automatically. We really spent time looking at what are the most common symptoms and then creating this infographic that we translate into a lot of different languages to really help inform community members about how to recognize their symptoms and then figure out what's the next steps. And so, for example, I'll show you the Farsi version of it. As we work to translate this, these materials, we looked at, is the word available in the other language that we're trying to translate it into? And that was a really profound discovery is that there are a lot of things that we take for granted that we just expect to have translated, but it takes time to really understand the cultural context of the words that we want to use and how it makes sense. One perfect example of this picture that you see here of cold, wet, and stuffy, and runny nose, we're trying to translate this into Korean. And the problem in Korean is that there is no formal word to say runny nose or, or watery eyes, I'm sorry. If you fit, did the figure of translation, it would meant waterfall in your eyes. So we're like, that's not gonna work. So we use a lot of visuals in our teaching tools to really help get the message across because we want the visuals to stick in the community members' minds so when they go home, that they're still thinking about the picture they just saw. And they can slowly start gathering some of the information that is being taught to them versus us putting a lot of text that won't be re very relevant, that they won't remember. They'll just smile and nod at us and go home. No, we want a talking points to start, continue at home, sharing this information with as many people as possible. 
But this is one of our early attempts of really just making sure that we create content that we can share with community members to really engage them, making sure that they understand what they're being taught in a meaningful way. The other thing that we do throughout the modules that you'll notice when you get when you gain access is that there are going to be a lot of infographics and information. As I mentioned, we spend a lot of time researching the information behind it, testing it within our own families, within diverse community groups to really make sure, does the content make sense? Does it really resonate with them? Do we need to clarify any of this additional material? And you'll notice a common theme is that we try to use visuals. So whether we can translate this material into a specific language, like Haitian Creole, if we don't have an expert, well, we want to make sure that somebody that can speak the language can walk, can follow along with the images and help translate to a community member on our behalf. But these are the type of resources that you will find once you become a community pharmacist ambassador. Information that's really going to make, make it so that community members will want to ask them questions because they feel engaged, they feel heard and seen. Another example is asking questions about, you know, doing survey questions. You know, there was conversation that during the Purdue Vaccine Summit of, you know, shoot, how do you want to survey members? Does, you know, are people going to answer your survey questions? So during COVID-19, one of the early things that we did was we surveyed our community to ask them what are their beliefs about vaccinations? And because we changed the way that we asked the survey questions to make sure it was short, sweet, easy to understand, we had over 1,500 people from different communities all across the state of Virginia really participating in answering these questions. But more importantly is how do you tell the story with the data that you are able to receive? So we spent a lot of time focusing on data storytelling. So it's important for us as pharmacists to be health educators and tell the story of how to understand disease, but also how to understand the story behind the data. How do we take numbers and make it meaningful to the communities that we're trying to engage with? They're not really going to care if we talk about high vaccination, low vaccination rates, if it's not relatable to them, like put it in the context that's going to be meaningful to that person sitting across from you. One of the early parts of COVID-19 vaccine you know, outreach for us was really highlighting what are the vaccines that are being given out uh, throughout the world. So because we serve a very culturally diverse community here in Northern Virginia, we wanted to highlight based on where people are coming from, from back home in Brazil, from Latin America, from China, from India, there are COVID vaccines out there. How many people are getting them? It's not like this foreign thing, all of a sudden the COVID vaccines are just being only given out in the US, but we try to make sure that our community members understood that vaccinations are happening globally and really put the data in front of them so that way it's easy for them to understand in some type of uh, you know, graphic that's gonna speak to them. And graphic storytelling is extremely important. We can't expect people to go read a JAMA article or go through traditional text and expect them to become informed. Unfortunately, we live in a TikTok generation right now where everybody wants quick sound bites. Everybody wants to point. I'm not good at TikTok because I haven't figured out the pointing yet. But we as an organization try to make sure that we are developing content for the Community Pharmacy Ambassador Program that is shareable with community members so that way we can still have the tangible you know, physical paper in hand or digital copies of information that they can really engage with in a meaningful way. One of the other things we did early on with COVID-19 vaccine, and we do with the other vaccines, is really kind of talk about the numbers, talk about what are the vaccines that are being available. For COVID, we talked about the Pfizer and Moderna vaccines of globally, where are the vaccines being delivered? How many vaccine doses are being given? What are the type of side effects are being, uh, being experienced? Because we need to make sure people are realizing that it's not just isolated information. Here in the US, flu happens globally, just like any other virus like COVID-19. 
did. So we have to make sure that we're looking at the information that's happening in where our community members are coming from and making that the comparison based on what's here in the US and what's available. But this is the type of strategy and information you'll find once you're becoming a community farmers ambassador. All the educational topics and modules that you'll see are really catered towards helping to take the information, big health content, and make it digestible. Regardless of the language that's being spoken in your community, the information is there so it doesn't get lost in translation. Like you play a game of telephone, as we get the messages going through, sometimes that message we want to be delivered doesn't get delivered the right way at the end. We're trying to take out all that guessing game through a lot of trial and error, working with our community. We've been doing this for a long time, working with large uh, demographics for a lot of time, for a very long period of time. So we make sure that the content is very meaningful. We've, we can tell you that it's family tested, family approved, because we all leverage our families as guinea pigs. You know, we love them, but, you know, we have to kind of make sure that we can change their perception to be proactive in care. But that's a quick overview. I'm going to pass it off to Julie to kind of share some more information about how Walgreens is leading the vaccination efforts. Thank you very much, Donnie. That was really great. Um, I love hearing about the Community Pharmacist Ambassador Program. I think that um, for everyone in the room there in Indiana and for all the pharmacists that are on the phone here today, um, I think we've always seen ourselves that way as pharmacists. So um, very great work to put that into a formal program so that pharmacists can be connected up with their communities in a, in a way where they can reach out beyond the four walls of the pharmacy. I'm going to work to share my screen here and we'll go through some slides. Okay, I think. Yep, we can see them. All righty. Am I in slideshow or am I, are you guys seeing all my slides? Yeah, it's not in slideshow. Let me see if I can get it into there. Here we go. All right. That way you can see it a little bigger and don't have to be distracted by the by the upcoming slides. That's great. So um, today I just want to just, you know, again say thanks for having me. Thanks for including Walgreens. I know there's probably a lot of my Walgreens colleagues there in the room in Indiana, um, likely on the phone as well. Um, so I really appreciate being included. Um, this is really important work to Walgreens, and um, we've been we've been doing it for a while, and we want to be able to share with others about how we're doing it. And um, really, honestly, I hope what you'll find at the end here is that there are just some simple things you can do to really make certain that you are meeting needs of underserved communities, and we want to be able to help you to help show you how. So um, we're going to go through a little bit about kind of our, our history over the last few years and also how pharmacists can help in, the, in making certain that we are equitable with our vaccine distribution and then what do you need to do to be successful. And then we'll highlight one of our, our recent uh, relationship with the National Minority Quality Forum and their Faith Health Alliance to just share um, how that's come to life in, um, in all, some churches across the country. So just a little bit of a going back in time here, um, you know, I think that everyone can can attest that the real commitment to vaccine equity came to life as the COVID-19 response was launched. 
Um, I think that working in pharmacies, you're in day in and day out, giving vaccinations for a very long time as pharmacists have, um, this is something you may have known in the back of your mind, but it wasn't really highlighted or spotlighted until we began having to do mass vaccination and try to attempt to make certain that everyone was being covered um, for protection against COVID vaccine. So that's when we really began to see these healthcare disparities come to the surface and really learn about why they're present and what we could really do to attack those. So for at Walgreens, we kind of began to see some trends and, and aligned our work to basically three pillars, which are to attack hesitancy about vaccinations by educating and informing with really credible information and making and trying to combat misinformation. Um, we also realized that there were environmental disadvantages, people had transportation issues, there's access problems, and also culturally that the healthcare systems were not necessarily, you know, very easy to navigate for certain groups. So that led to just people not being having the access that we that they should have. And then the last thing, and really the most important thing, and cannot be stressed enough, and I think that this has been a theme already this morning through several presentations, is that no one can do this by themselves. Um, you have to have partnerships. You have to find trusted voices in the community and in order to amplify your message and also to make certain that any misinformation is, is dispelled with trusted voices that certain communities are used to hearing from. So that's where we really focused all of our efforts. Um, and this, you know, really began in earnest with the COVID vaccine efforts. But now where, where do we find ourselves now? I mean, we've, we're, we've been living in a pandemic world, you know, for several years. And now we're, you know, we're, you know, technically the public health emergency has ended. Um, so where do we find ourselves now? And what do we do going forward? And, and how are those lessons learned about vaccine equity around COVID how do we apply those to other vaccinations? Because, you know, honestly, adult vaccination has lagged for a long time in this country. Um, the pandemic did not help. And we certainly have seen even more disparities, you know, as far as people being behind on immunization. So how do we apply the things that we've learned to all adult immunizations and then again, and then adolescent immunizations and, and pediatric immunizations? And what, what landscape are we finding ourselves in now? So the challenges are different. And they, right now we're finding ourselves with reduced funding because the public health emergency has ended. Um, labor shortages and capacity challenges. I think everyone in the room can, can attest that it's very, the pharmacy environment can be very difficult and reductions in the workforce have certainly um, compounded that. And then there's less urgency from the public. Um, not everyone's clamoring to get a vaccine the way that they were in the beginning in, in 2019, 2020. So um, there's some changes that we have to we have, we have to kind of pivot what we're doing in order to make sure that we're still getting the message out. So I'll spend the next the next three slides are just some historical information about you know what what Walgreens did and how we worked to get the education out there, um, and what and you know where that brought us to after you know to where we are now. So what we did initially is to try to increase that awareness that Walgreens is reaching out to medically underserved communities, making a certain that black and Latino communities across the United States were getting the messages, getting the information that they needed. So in order to do that, we had to engage in strategic partnerships. 
so that we could identify those thought leaders and community leaders that were trusted in those communities and partner to make sure that our pharmacists were meeting patients where they were. Um, positive conversations being generated. I mean, you guys, we all have seen the negative information about vaccination that spread, you know, really rampantly throughout the pandemic. And we've tried to be a, a, vo a voice of the positive and really, stay, really staying close to the health, being a health advocate and a patient advocate and not allowing political information to really inform any decisions about vaccination. Um, we're fortunate at Walgreens, we do have, are able to, you know, leverage, you know, media and a communications team and things like that. But these, th those types of conversations can be had on a small scale as well. And then, um, publishing regular content on our own, social, on our own landing pages and websites and all of the different things that Walgreens does have as far as social media to make sure that the message was getting out as much as possible to the, to all communities. So um, we were able to drive down hesitancy quite a bit. And on this measurement, I'm not sure with the dating on this, but there was a, a, you know, a significant decrease in hesitancy ahead of the mass availability of the COVID vaccine based on some of the efforts that were made, you know, not just by Walgreens, but by, by, by other, by other um, entities as well. And then how we did, really did that, and I think this is the key message, and Donnie spoke to this, Ulysses spoke to this, um, I think it's really, really important that you we're bringing pharmacists and pharmacy team members into communities that look like those communities. Um, people trust people that look like them. People relate to people who have a similar cultural background. And so we really try very hard to make certain that the messaging that we're sharing is delivered by a person that people can relate to. So uh, when we do our, our offsite clinics, um, that's one of the one of the messages that we share with our local leadership is that, you know, really try to make sure you have someone that speaks the language of the people that you are that you're expecting to participate in your clinic. And we did the same thing when we were delivering messages across media. Um, we used social media, print media, radio media, television and brought our pharmacists into people's worlds that way so that they could deliver the messages to make certain that people were understanding where to find information and where to get vaccinated. So this is the highlight reel. Um, this is, again, looking back historically, but we've been able to offer at this point over 2,000 offsite clinics in specifically in medically underserved areas across 46 states um, and administered um, 250,000 COVID-19 doses. And we, we did this and early on, I was very fortunate to be part of our cross the nation bus tour. We did two of those, um, one that, began in DC and ran across the country all the way to Portland over the summer of 2021. And then we also did one in the, in the, mostly in the South at historically black colleges and universities, which was a really amazing events that brought people out into the community. They were festive. There was, you know, it was more than just vaccination. So that's one of the things we, one of the big lessons learned to doing events like this and getting out in the community is that you don't just have to show up and give vaccines. You can make that part of something else, whether it be a, a larger health fair. It doesn't necessarily have to be all health related. We had we had DJs and bands and different things like that. So it can be a community event. And um, we've worked with over 250 or 750 diverse community based partners. This is something that's really um, very key. And I know that our work with the Faith Health Alliance is this is where 
this is the type of work that we're doing with them. And this is the really important work. And I think honestly, the it's the boots on the ground. It's the it's the biggest part of the work we do in the community is through our our store teams connecting with their local churches, local government, and, and even you know smaller organizations where they can make a difference. So by doing that, we've been able to administer over 26 million shots in in stores that are in socially vulnerably vulnerable communities. And then again, you'll see the impact of the hesitancy reduction. And then a note again about just understanding that many of our pharmacists, almost half of our pharmacists identify as a person of color and they reflect and live in the communities where they work. We our digital digital offerings are available in English and Spanish. We I wish they could be available in more languages, but our pharmacists are speaking the languages of the people that they through the communities that they serve. And you can be connected um, to language services through any Walgreens. This is a big a slide that's got a lot of information on it, but basically transitioning to, you know, that's the work we did. Now, what are we doing? And um, I think that the long, the long story short is that we're still doing the same things. There's not a lot of things that have changed, but we're armed with a lot more information and we've learned a lot about what works and what doesn't work. And I think that this goes to, you know, Ulysses comments this morning is that you try things and they don't work and you pivot and you do something different, but you have, you can't just continue to do the same things. You can't continue to message all communities in the exact same way. You can't have a one type of clinic and one type of clinic only. So we're really continuing to focus on education, partnership and access. And we're doing that by having a multitude of different types of services, whether it be a pop-up clinic in a parking lot, a local community based clinic in a, in a church. And we've, open our pharmacies to organizations so that they can have in-store events if that's preferred. And then the other piece that often precedes these types of events and and that's the educational portion. So we can pharmacists come out, you know, ahead of events to connect with communities like churches so that they can build a rapport and begin to educate and create a relationship with those maybe church members or whatever type of organization it is so that they have they build that trust. And a lot of the times our vaccine equity clinic operations are as much education as they are vaccination. And what we, we feel that that's just as successful as getting shots in arms because these people will go home and discuss this with their families and then they become an educator. Um, there they become an advocate once they, they learn and they understand and they get their myths dispelled and their questions answered. And the last part is just media and partner outreach. Um, again, I mentioned that Walgreens, you know, we're a large corporation, but this doesn't mean that a small pharmacy can't do similar things. A lot of the things that we do can be done on a smaller scale and still make a very big impact in their community. So the moral of the story is that there is not very, it's not difficult to be successful in reaching your community. Um, very basic things need to happen. And that is that whenever patients are in your pharmacies or you're in, in a situation where you're connecting with the community, that you're engaging, listening and responding with care and empathy, um, understanding that cultures are different, that what you may be intending to say may be, not be heard the same as someone else. So educating oneself to know how is it best to connect with certain, certain groups. Um, and that goes for not just the pharmacists, but your entire pharmacy teams and any other persons that may work in your in your store. 
And I'm connecting with those trusted community partners. Um, again, I will say that over the course of my work with vaccine equity since early 2021, this is the, the biggest factor for success or failure to have people like turn out for an event. It is being connected with someone the community trusts, partnering with them to promote that event in the ways that they know uh, meet the needs of their, their members and working together. And then doing the promotion and awareness through multiple platforms. So I think Haley also mentioned this, that you know we love TikTok, Instagram, social media, but that doesn't reach all the people that you're trying to reach. So don't forget about the old school newspaper, TV, radio ads, and things like that, because they can be equally, equally helpful to drive people out to your event so that you can ultimately connect with them to educate and get them vaccinated against flu, COVID, or any other vaccination that they may be missing. And these are just some pictures. Um, and I think that um, we will, Crystal will be sharing a little bit about an event that we've, you know, we've, we've partnered with her and we've, we partnered with Chinny on a regular basis to um, reach the church members of the Faith Health Alliance and their ministries. And these are just some examples of some programs that we've done over the last year as we've partnered together to, to really expand beyond COVID-19 vaccination, to include flu, to include um, shingles, to include any other vaccination of interest for, for these groups. And the way that my team does this, um, I have a wonderful individual on my team, Bree, who is really our prim or the primary point of contact. So as soon as Chinny hears about a, you know, someone in their Faith Health Alliance or even another um, organization in the community that reaches out to her, she will connect them with Bree and we will then make that introduction to our local field leadership teams and also our local pharmacists to look and to see when is their event, um, how many pharmacists do they need, what type of vaccination are they interested in. And we talk about all the logistics and expectations on both sides about how to make an event successful, do plan the planning together, stay in contact up until the clinic day so that we can make sure that a successful event is, is launched there at, at the organization, usually a church in, the, in this situation. And then my last slide is just some quotes that, I, that we've, you know, where we've, we've talked with our with some of the folks that we've been out to their churches. And these are just some some of the responses that they had. Um, you know, just let, you know, knowing, letting people know how much it means for them to meet the community where they are, to come out to their church, to their fall festival, um, versus having the people, requiring people to come into the pharmacy. I did include one that shows that there was a mix up in the address and the Walgreens team were arriving a few minutes late, but ultimately the, the, the event was very successful and that's because you already have a rapport. So it's just important to make sure that you are connecting with your community partners, you're building that relationship and and we're all in it together. So um, with that, I will turn it over, I believe to Crystal and she'll talk a little bit more about what that looks like on the partner side. And also any, if anyone has any questions, certainly I'm open to answer any questions. Thank you so much, Julie, how exciting your work is. and. Indeed, it is, we are eager to hear from Crystal and put your questions in the Q&A, guys. Hello, I'm hoping that everyone can hear me clearly. Yep. Okay, 
Um, I just want to first start off telling um, everyone, thank you for allowing me to have this opportunity with everyone. Um, I want to especially thank Chenny, who has been working with uh, my church, which is New Hope Missionary Baptist Church and, and community called Orange Mound, and it's in Memphis, Tennessee, and our pastor is Dr. Hopkins. And so we have been fortunate enough to have this great experience working with Chenny and Walgreens. So the thing that I have realized is that since partnering up with Walgreens, we have had so much fun, not only fun, but we also have a variety of information. So in our community in Orange Mountain, it is a lower income. And my pastor's goal has always been to have the congregation and the outside community to be healthy, spiritually, mentally, physically, and financially. And so Walgreens has been beneficial to us to help address the physical aspect of the mission that we have at our church. And so there were a lot of people who had health literacy and just didn't understand the importance of vaccines. And of course, with COVID-19, a lot of our church members were fearful of having it, um, that vaccine being provided to them. And so they just really just, when you talk about vaccines, everybody would just silence and become silenced and say, no, I'm not gonna do those things. And so what we found was interesting was when we had Walgreens come out and do an introduction of all the vaccines that would be provided to our community. And this was done during the time that we had food and fellowship. So it wasn't just that we came in and then Walgreens was standing in front of us. We had food, we had fellowship, and it was a fun time and it was just a relaxed environment it actually happened on a Sunday immediately following one of our services. And Bailey, who was the pharmacist that was provided to us, they love Bailey. They always ask about Bailey. Um, you know, mothers of the church wanted to give Bailey food and provide him with so much food just because he's so friendly. And they like, we love Bailey, Bailey, Bailey. So we actually have a friend with Bailey. And because of this, our church is no longer um, health literacy. So everybody's understanding the importance of vaccines. Questions that some of the members, especially the um, Asian population said they would never ask their doctors about. They actually presented the information to Walgreens, so Bailey and his pharmacy staff, and they said they felt more comfortable, as Julie stated, with um, speaking to a person that's um, right within our community. And then, so the next, the following Sunday after the education, we had a lot of people that signed up to um, take those different vaccines that Walgreens provided because of education aspects. And I would say that with our church having a local pharmacy come, it creates this personal relationship and trust within the community. So the lack of trust that that area once had, they're now being, being able to trust the medication, um, understanding the purpose of it, and the benefits of it. And that was all because of what we've been provided through you all, as well as Walgreens. You know, Crystal, I, you're giving such a great um, feeling of, of what the connection is like. And I, I wonder, let me show my, my mug here. I would like to hear the three of our guest speakers talk about how this community partnership is energizing to both community members and to the pharmacy staff. Would you say something about that? 
I would love to say something about that, Laura Lee. Um, just from, you know, I mentioned the bus tour that we did. Um, I mentioned you know, we've all different types of clinics that we've held. We've held them in stadiums. We've held them in churches. We've held them in parking lots. We've had all different types of things like that. Team members love to do that. They love to get out, out outside the four walls of the pharmacy. They've got their Walgreens shirt on. You know, people are going to come up and ask them questions. And they get to be kind of, you know, roll their sleeves up and have fun and really get, relax and talk and connect with people in a way that's different from when you're standing behind a counter. And we have no trouble getting people interested in doing these types of events because of that factor that it's that human connection and maybe it was a time when we were really trying to get back to normal where we were actually being able to congregate and gather when we did the bus tour but even now it's just that connection you can't it's you can't underestimate how good that feels to really feel like to know you're making a difference so i appreciate crystal's perspective and sharing um um the love that their congregation has for Bailey and our pharmacy team and just being connected to your local pharmacy because there's a lot there other even other than vaccinations for education and connection with the medical community. So I I, I would add that a lot of the community pharmacy ambassadors, they come from all different backgrounds as pharmacists. So working in a hospital setting, working in pharmaceutical companies, working in community pharmacy. So there's not one specific background that makes a great community pharmacy ambassador is just the only requirement is the commitment to serve and engage your community. And one of the things that people have found very rewarding, as Julie mentioned, is that sense of purpose of being there for their community and creating that bond. So after the community ambassador starts having conversations with the community, they now are going to be the main point of contact for that community to find a trusted champion that they can rely on. So just as uh, Crystal's been talking about Bailey, that's what we want. We want more Baileys. We want champions that people feel comfortable, that they will go and seek honest advice from their trusted pharmacists, regardless of the setting they're in, but they feel comfortable asking the question. And that's one thing that we really want is to improve that health literacy, improve that cultural competency, but really build trust, regardless of where you're from, just feel comfortable and know that you're being treated like fame. You know, thank you both for saying that. I, I would even go so far, and Crystal, you tell me if I'm going over the deep end here, but I think that you certainly are bringing something to the communities. But I think the community is giving something to the professional. Um, that, you know, the, the hospitality, the appreciation, um, I think in a, you know, world where there's so much burnout and staff turnover and too much work, not just in medical practices, but in pharmacies that people like Crystal and her congregation, I think are giving a gift back. Would you say that's true, Crystal? Yes, I would definitely say that's true. Um, as I had stated, um, the time we had the food fellowship, we actually had bouncers um, available for the community, barbecue, um, numerous of things we had available for the community as it's hold. Um, having Bailey, um, one of the members made sure that Bailey had a plate because she was like, I want to make sure he has food because he's worked so hard and he's took the time out for us. And so, like I said, it was numerous of food and even his staff that he brought along. Definitely, they always make sure that they have something to eat and even take home with them. So, yes, that is true. 
I know there's some members of churches on the program and if they want to share their perspective in the chat that would be great Chinny, I don't know if you're in a position to offer your perspective since you are so much in contact with the community in terms of that um, energizing impact of the program absolutely thank you so much Laura Lee I think that the I think um, all of the examples that have been shared are perfect in, in talking about the kind of energizing that happens with the churches. But I think that when we have our collective meetings with the Faith Health Alliance, you know, we're able to, we let people share their experiences with Walgreens and the, and the, and the events. And so those who haven't already scheduled their events are even more motivated to, to start planning their events. So that's something that I know that, and especially the education piece, I want to give, I want to shout out Crystal and her church. They're actually the team that started the education piece formally. So now all of our churches have adopted this model where they will bring in the pharmacies a week prior to the event, who will come in and talk about the education, answer questions on who is eligible for what, answer questions on whether in, whether they take insurances and whether there's any cost associated with the, uh, with the vaccinations, you know, and just like Julie said, build a rapport with the pharmacist and kudos to uh, the Walgreens team who will even hang out after church services to answer further questions, you know. And so now all of the churches have been energized. They've, they've adopted this module where they'll bring in the pharmacist to do the education piece and then schedule for an event um, the following week, which has been really, really been very well received. Thank you, Chinny. I want to just take, we have three questions and I want to share a couple things. First, um, this is a badge that you will all get and can use in your email and in LinkedIn to show that you are really, um, you are a community pharmacist ambassador. I want to also go to, so here are the modules for the flu, which you will be able to access. And so, let me just show you. So you will actually be able to download resources to go give that presentation, as you see here. I hope you see. And there's um, modules that are kind of for you to really kind of look at strategies for communication. So when you sign up or log into the um, to the pharmacist program, please go and use these resources beyond the infographics that Donnie shared and, and you'll get your um, your badge to announce to the world your commitment. Um, the other thing I wanna say, and then I'm gonna put the questions to the, to the speakers, is that the NMQF Summit, April 29th and 30th in Washington, DC, we're gonna make a lot of noise about the powerful impact of pharmacists. And I hope all of you, all of you, I hope you all can come and celebrate, be celebrated and um, connect even further with the community. So questions. There was a question about reimbursement uh, and I see Julie answered it. Um, Susanna Merrick about um, offering free vaccines, people who are uninsured, et cetera, on the Medicaid program. 
I can and, speak to it further if you want me to, Laura Lee. Yeah, if you would address that and also about maternal immunization. Sure. Um, so the question was that do we offer free or no cost vaccines at clinics and through the bridge program, which is a CDC program, um, and then further about vaccines for children. Um, so I'll answer the that anything that we are offering our stores for as far as programs for no cost or low cost vaccines is available at our clinics. Um, so we are a participant in the CDC Bridge Access Program for COVID-19, which uh, started with the launch of the updated vaccine and, and goes through the end of December 2024. So any person who's uninsured or underinsured, which means any cost share at all returned to them by their plan, um, can receive a no-cost vaccine at Walgreens. The only caveat is that it is only available for 18 plus, and it is also for the underinsured portion. You have to be in network at Walgreens. So if if you we you know we have have people that go into Walgreens and they're not in network, so we would have to then refer you to your covered provider, um, in order to be take advantage of that. But that is available also if we administer a vaccine at an offsite clinic. We also have annually Walgreens self funds a a free flu shot program. So we distribute free flu vouchers to all of our regional leaders, and then they administer that program through their stores and connect with community-based organizations in order to make, to make certain that patients understand they can come into Walgreens for a free flu shot. Um, the only eligibility is you can't afford your flu shot. So you could be uninsured, you could have insurance, and just you don't have $10 or you don't have whatever the cost might be then you just let the person know at Walgreens that you don't, you're not unable to afford or pay for that and and you there's a, there is a free flu voucher available to you. We still have some of those available even this late in the season. So um, that is a, oh, a wonderful oh, Be careful, program. it's not too late. It's not too late. <laughs> yeah, so um, that's a wonderful program that we've had for a long time and we continue to make that a priority. We're continue, also working um, really hard to try to offer other vaccinations because um, you know, I, I mean, COVID really highlighted it and brought it to the forefront, but we need to really be attacking adult immunization overall um, for, for routine immunizations. And so we're looking to see how we might be able to expand, you know, those no-cost vaccines um, to other, vac to other um, immunizations. More to come on that. Um, as far as vaccines for children, we aren't we don't participate in vaccines for children, nor do any of the other larger chain pharmacies. Um, it's a pretty difficult program, um, but we are working with the CDC to see what lessons we can learn from the bridge program and how we could apply that to either improving the vaccines for children program or and also as they shape the vaccines for adults program so that it can be now that really the lot of the immunization is happening in pharmacies versus like I think to what Laura Lee showed that the decline in medical provider offices versus the st stability in the pharmacy. Um, we really have to be have a seat at the table. The pharmacists and pharmacies have to have a seat at the table when talking about creation of these programs. So we're working to make certain that that is considered so that more pharmacies can be enrolled in programs that do offer these no cost or free vaccinations rather than people being having to go to you know a medical provider or hospital clinic setting. So I hope Thank that answers the question. I want to maybe we have five minutes left. I want to turn it over to Donnie. You wanted to speak to a research question and also if there's any um, information you have about maternal vaccination programs. Okay. Well, first, I want to thank Julie because um, my organization, we serve the uninsured. And, you know, I'm part of a 
the National Association of Free and Travel Clinics that represents over a thousand safety net clinics across the country. And there are a lot of safety net clinics that are always trying to find a partner like Walgreens to get vaccines to serve their members. And Julie and her team have been great, uh, a great collaborative partner to kind of help facilitate those relationships of safety net clinics, being able to speak with the Walgreens team member to make sure that the, the needs of the community can be met. So Julie, thank you so much for, for the work that you've been doing to help out. But one of the questions that was asked early this morning um, at the Purdue Summit was about IRB. You know, we talk about building trust in the community and developing content and communication strategies to really engage community members. And how do you get around the IRB process in order to make that work? You know, and I can tell you, IRB is there for a reason. You know, it's to make sure people are, are protected through the research process. And when I work with IRB boards, uh, you know, for clinical trials across the country and different topics, my question is always, is the intent to get the question answered or is the intent just asking for the sake of asking? And that's really where you have to create the framework, because if you understand why a question is being asked, then you can kind of come up with suggestions of can we ask this a different way? Or if we ask the question in this intended manner, this is how it might come across to the community member, because a lot of times everybody's just going through a very structured approach of asking questions because of the legal requirements and what has to get done. But they're not thinking about, well, what's the human response? Because you can ask everything from a legal requirement, but that doesn't mean you're going to get a response that's needed. So then is your project complete? If you're trying to enroll a thousand people in your clinical trial, and but you know you only have less than 5% participation, well, is that clinical trial going to be launched? So you have to design things asking, what's the intent of asking a question? And how are we going to make sure the community members understand the questions that, that are being asked? You can ask the same technical question, but it could be designed in a different way. And I want to give you an example of one thing that we've done in our diabetes education program here at our organization. So let me just share my screen again. So this is an example of a diabetes survey question that we do in our diabetes workshops. As you can see, we ask a lot of ask 10 questions. So we try not to overwhelm the community. But the biggest thing is, is we put visuals to accompany the question. And each question it has an intended purpose that we want to act on once we get that response. This survey has been translated. This So this is the English version. We've translated into a variety of different languages because we serve a variety of different community members. But the, the focus is we're asking a question with the intended purpose of creating an action behind it. So when it comes to IRB, you have to make sure that the IRB, when it comes to research, is focusing on what do you want to do with this information? Are you collecting just for the sake of collection? Or is there going to be some action that's going to be done behind it? So ask questions with the purpose. No one wants to fill out a lengthy piece of paperwork. I don't want to fill out forms. I'm sure many of you don't want to fill out forms. So if we want our communities to respond, you got to make sure that you're you know, communicating in a manner that's going to want to, to make them respond. And having visuals to accompany the questions makes it less intimidating for someone to want to ask the survey question. Also, the advantage of having images like this to accompany a, a question is that regardless of the survey tool being translated into the language that's needed for that community, the visuals will help guide that narrative. So people can follow along in understanding the purpose behind what you're asking. But it's extremely important to learn that concept of ask questions with a defined purpose, but with the intent of what are we gonna do with it? Don't tell people tell me why you're poor and then not have offer a suggestion of help. But if you're asking about why you're afraid of vaccines, well, what's the follow-up steps? So make sure you have those things in place as you're creating a communication strategy for engaging engagement. And we kind of go over those uh, these concepts within the modules that Laura Lee highlighted that you'll have access to in terms of addressing the community member needs. It's really making sure we build trust 
but it's a long-term trust that we're, we're aiming for, not just a quick win. Well, we are at the one clock, and I wanted to have Crystal give her the opportunity to have a last word, if you will, a member of the community. Everybody sign up. We'll get you the materials. We'll hook you up with folks in the community. Crystal, do you have 15 to 20 seconds of last words? Um, like I stated earlier, I just want to thank you all. Thank you all for um, giving our church, um, allowing our church to be able to participate in this. It's definitely important. And I feel like our church is definitely educated on the importance of vaccines. And as well as we have seen an increase of people who have signed up for vaccines. So thank you all. Everyone have a great afternoon. We look forward to the rest of the day in Indianapolis. Um, Happy December.